Hello and welcome to Under Further Review. We've got something a little bit different for you today. I've got two of my really good friends in the house, uh, both people going into the education field or already in the education field. Uh, we want to do, do an interview with them, just talk about education, teaching, the future of education, where that's all going, and, and how they got to where they do, uh, build a little bit on what we talk about with our Monday messages. Uh, again, we are brought to you by University Pulse Radio. Thank you so much to The Pulse for hosting this podcast. If you haven't, make sure to go check out all of our other podcasts. We have our Monday messages that we have been posting regularly as well. We've been doing sports talk once a week. Recently just had our sports podcast with, uh, with Nick. We went over and talked a lot about the NBA. That was some really good stuff. Make sure to check all that stuff out. Got a really good, really good episode for you today. I'm excited for you to hear it. Make sure to share it with a friend that you know that is interested in education or going into education. It's going to be good. But first, let's hear that music. All right. Hello. Welcome. Sitting here with me, I've got Nick Carinanti, teacher, graduate student, bachelor degree holder, and I've got with me also Lane Pitts, girlfriend of our producer, Tyler Mathern, education major, runs an after-school program, two of the best people I know, two of the most loving people I know. Introduce yourself. Say hello to the people. That was a fantastic introduction. I'm a bachelor degree holder, and that's how I will now introduce myself from now on. Um, name's Nick Carinanti. I'm a special education teacher at Sherman Elementary in Napa, Idaho. I'm Lane Pitts. I'm pursuing my bachelor's degree in elementary education with an endorsement in literacy, and I run an after-school program. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, that's really, that's when I get my degree the end of this year, that's how I'm going to introduce myself is... Nathan Carroll, BS. Nice to meet you. <laughs> or I guess I think for me it'd be BA. Nice to meet you. Uh, it's really just the best way to do it. When you get your master's, I definitely... Is, is when you get a degree in education, is it, is it a BE or is it going under like a BA? It's a BA. It's yeah. a BA. Mm -hmm. It's technically a Bachelor, bachelor of Arts. Bachelor of Arts in so Education. So you're getting your master's of arts then? Yeah. So, um, so you can be Nick Carinanti, MA. Yeah, just wait until I get my doctor, and I just make people call me Dr. Nick for no reason. No. But not even Dr. <laughs> Carinanti, literally Dr. No, Nick. No, Dr. Nick. For sure. right, I'm here for it. So I wanted to talk to you guys about education. I wanted to talk to you guys about teaching. Uh, real quickly, just tell us about what, what inspired you to go into the world of education to become a teacher or helping the young students of America push themselves forward in life. Yeah, so... When I was a freshman in high school, my mom was like, you need to do something with your life. You just sit and watch basketball a lot. And I was like, cool, what should I do? And nothing's changed, story over. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's where my story ends. Um, but my mom went through and we looked through the various after-school programs at my high school. Shout out Martin County High School, Stewart, Florida. Um, and we looked through the different things and she was like, oh, I don't know what this program is, Best Buddies. And it's a program where general ed students get um, matched up with special ed students for a peer mentorship kind of program, work on social skills, hanging out in you know, structured activities in the school. And she's like, yeah, I think you'd be good at this, do that. I said, okay. And then I started doing that that year. 
Um, one of my best friends did it with me. We both, um, I think we were very good at it. We were recognized by the, the special ed teacher at my school who ran it for some other you know, activities in the community for special ed. She asked if we would be interested in working in a summer camp, if we would be working with students that through an occupational therapist as kind of mentoring roles. I started working that summer for, at a camp for students with autism, started doing some, some work in the community. After that, I was just like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm gonna do with my life. I started working in the special ed classroom in my high school as a TA and as a volunteer in that kind of world. Um, pretty much at that point, I was about 15, 16. I was running Best Buddies, great club. I know Boise State recently opened a, a chapter and I was running that in high school and I was like, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I came to Boise State, moved across the country because of the special ed program here. Um, and then just kind of never looked back at that point. Now, yeah. you know, here I am six years later, special ed teacher in Idaho. There you go. Lane, what about you? What drew you to, to the education field? Well, I didn't switch to the education path until very recently. I've, I always knew that I wanted to do something where I was working with people and helping people. So when I was looking at what my options were in terms of what I wanted to do, kind of when I was in high school, I was thinking, oh, kind of going down the medical path, that'd be a really great way to do that. Um, and then, so I started college as a health science major, wanting to do physical therapy, and I just really hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I was really unhappy, and I didn't like it, and um, so when I was kind of reevaluating what I wanted to do with my life, my mom, who is a kindergarten teacher, she said, you should be a teacher, and I was like, heck no, I don't want to be a teacher, <laughs> and she's like, you you would be a great teacher. Come to school with me and just see what you think. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. So I went into school with her and watched her teach. And she showed me everything she does on a daily basis. And um, I got to talk with a bunch of other teachers in the school. And I fell in love with it. Just absolutely loved it. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So then I started classes. And um, yeah, just kept falling in love with it and here I am yeah <laughs> talk a little bit about the after the after school program you run and what you do there so I run an after school program through the city of Boise um, at an elementary school and we have about 50 to 60 kids that come every day and I oversee the kids and the staff and um, yeah every day we we have planned activities for them to do, but also kind of giving them their free time to run around. And a lot of what I do is I'm kind of buzzing around all day, back and forth, handling major problems with the kids there and um, kind of helping the staff stay organized and just keeping things running. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, Nick, I kind of want to just talk to you about some of your experiences Education in general is a very empowering field. It's one that that really you're serving the people. And I think it's generally looked very highly of. People love teachers. No one talks poorly of our teachers. But especially you being special ed, that's something that I think a lot of people just aren't built or equipped to do. I know for me per personally, 
one, I couldn't be a teacher in the first place because I don't have the patience. Yeah, that's true. But especially for working in special ed, I there are very few people I know who can do that. When did you feel like you were kind of drawn to special ed in particular? And, you know, you talked a little bit about that program you were in. The, yeah, well, in that was really it because I, I never wanted to be a teacher and then I wanted to be a special ed teacher. So I am, I am certified. So because of the program in Boise State and the way that it's laid out, I am certified I could teach any grade from kindergarten to 12th grade in special ed, but I can also teach any grade from kindergarten to middle school in any other classroom. I can teach any subject area. I'm certified in math, social studies, so on and so forth. I never wanted to do that. I, I got that certification because it was, you know, made me hireable. It was a good program. I learned a lot, and I'm very thankful for the, the program that, at Boise State and that I had to go through the methods courses, and I had to take a class on how to teach PE, and I had to take a class on how to teach science and reading, and those are things I do in my classroom and not in the way that a reading teacher does or a PE teacher does, but I got good skills from those things, so I'm glad I have that, but I never wanted to teach a gen ed classroom. I did my student teaching in a sixth grade classroom and I learned a lot. And again, it was really good for my growth as a teacher because I don't teach a whole group instruction in the way that a general ed teacher does. I have 10 kids. Now, my kids have more, are more severe, need more support. It's a different job, but having that experience where I did have to teach a class of 25 and I did have to have classroom management and structure for the whole group and have that instruction and differentiation in that environment is really valuable to myself as a teacher now. It was just never something I wanted to do. I, I have a heart for students with disabilities, specifically students with autism, but just those students that need that support, that is what I've wanted to do since I was about 14, 15, but I never wanted to, to teach in a regular classroom. So it's a just different skill set. So in the long term, do you think your your career is going to have you be in the classroom or do you want to move outside of that? And obviously for you, it's more so about, you said it's more so about working with these special needs children as opposed to being able to teach them. Where do you see yourself long term? Well, long term, I, I am, as you mentioned, I am a grad school student right now. I'm getting my master's in special education and I plan on being in the classroom for a long time. I don't have any, any plans at this time to, to be moving outside of the classroom. But long term, I would like to get into higher education, get into to post-secondary, even start, you know, start teaching college, whether, and my ideal fit would be as I'm still teaching in the classroom, doing some supplementary stuff, teaching as a professor at night for special education, both for special ed majors and for, for elementary ed majors. Because I think it's really important how we educate our educators. It's a tough, it's a really tough field because it's this catch-22 of you can't really know how to do it until you're in the field and we can't put you in the field until you know how to do it. So we can go through the, the terms and there's a thousand acronyms you're gonna have to memorize and you can memorize them and you can practice and you, you could go observe and watch other people teach and it's all great but until you get the hands-on experience and even as you're getting the hands-on experience you don't really know what you're doing because there's no catch-all solution in education whether it's in gen ed or whether it's in in special ed we can equip ourselves with toolboxes with our toolbox of things that we can use in the classroom we can you know, watch other teachers and see what works for them and adapt for ourselves. 
but those things take time and it's especially in special ed i mean i i deal with some very severe behaviors some very severe situations and it's that's something that's really hard to to put onto paper and that is something that i am very passionate about long term just how do we educate our educators how do we make sure that by the time they're in their classroom they are prepared they are ready now it's never going to be fully prepared because we need to keep growing and learning but what can we do to make sure they're as ready as they can be at that point specifically for gen ed teachers there's to me there's a you you get people who are you know veteran career teachers in in general education and they've never been in a special ed classroom they've never had those experiences and that's something that I think needs to change because not that they're going to do my job not that they need to but getting that experience and that knowledge is important because you are going to have special ed kids in your classroom you are going to have gifted and talented kids in your classroom you're going to have different styles of learners you're going to have all of these differences every kid is unique and every kid is an individual and my job as a special educator is individualized instruction that is what i do i make individualized education plans for every student that i teach mm-hmm. gen ed teachers don't have to do that they can't do that that's not practical but seeing that is important and right now i don't think we educate our gen ed teachers enough on that side of things interesting interesting so and i i want to open this up to to both of you guys having spent time around children and seeing their behavior and working with them and obviously you've had a little bit more experience with it being your full-time job but even i think in your position lane you've talked about it how do you deal with kids that are going through adverse situations and adverse scenarios obviously with nick you've talked about these kids you know obviously you're a special ed teacher these kids have special needs that they simply can't just overcome but i know lane you've talked about students who've gone through a lot of emotional trauma how do you deal with kids who are just raised in a different situation than maybe you were or that the rest of their peers have been? You be there for them. That's the biggest thing they need is they, they need someone who is going to be dependable and who's going to be there for them. So building that relationship with that kid is huge. Like just them knowing that every single, like for me, knowing every single day after school that they're going to see me and the staff and we're going to be there every day too ask them how their day was, talk with them if they need to talk, or just play a board game with them. I think that's, that's huge for, for kids who have gone through adverse childhood experiences, traumatic experiences, for sure. Yeah, and even aside from the special ed, you know, the students that I are in my classroom that I, I teach, we are a high trauma school. We are 100% free and reduced lunch school. We do have a, a lot of students in in precarious situations and that is the hardest thing to do because if I do everything right and I think I create the greatest lesson, the greatest behavior plan, and I'm doing just the peak ultimate job I can do, I can't change their home life. Mm-hmm. And as much as we do and as much time as we have, that's still a very small portion of these kids' lives. Mm-hmm. And I had a kid that recently, you know, he was making a lot of growth and his mom came back into his life from jail, still addicted to drugs, now has a warrant back out for her arrest. It's been a very hard week for him, hard two weeks. And I don't blame him for that. I feel terrible. 
Now we still have to, you know, I still have a job to educate him and we're still working on those sort of things, those coping mechanisms that we had, but it makes it a lot harder because there is nothing we can do. We can't change that. All we can do, and I like the way you said that, Elaine, we have to give these kids support because a lot of them, they don't have, they don't have it elsewhere. I mean, I have, I have students, I have multiple students that are homeless. They don't know where they're going to sleep at night. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. School is their only constant. And our job as teachers is to give them a structure that they're probably not getting at home. They're not getting from their parents. Yeah. We are the role models. We are the dependent adults in these kids' lives. We need to be there to support them. We need to be there for them to, for them to trust us because that's probably not something that they're going to have. These, when everything is in turmoil and everything is in the air, you don't have any feeling of certainty. You don't have any feeling of, of trust and comfort. And it doesn't make our job easier, but that's what we need to be because we can provide that when nobody else can at times. Yeah. yeah. And I think one thing that if I can kind of interpolate what, what you're speaking about, a lot of love and empathy, right, for kids who are in those positions, just trying to understand where they're at and just trying to show as much love and positivity as you can. Am I, am I wrong or am I kind of getting at the right track there? Um, I once I wrote a paper in senior year of college on if teachers should be empathetic. Yeah. Um, based off the idea of do we want to, does that change, does that create a center of bias? If, if you know a student, if you are internalized a student's struggle or relating to it or, you know, is that going to change the way you treat them in a way that it shouldn't? And it's, it's a really fine line because we do need to be considerate. We do need to be thoughtful of these students' struggles and the things we can do. And a lot of, I know my school provides a program to provide food, home for, for students that need it. And those things are important. But should that affect the way in which we teach a child? Mm-hmm. It's a much bigger question. And I don't think there's a, a yes or no answer. I think it depends on the student. It depends on the teacher. It depends on the situation. I work with my students in a much more intimate setting. I have myself and one other adult in my classroom at all times. And there are times where we have only three or four kids in there. That's a much different setting than a fifth grade teacher who has 22 kids and is the only adult. I have an opportunity to kind of be that more, again, intimate support. The, we can spend more time talking about that and working on coping, but there's a, a really fine line in teaching on how much you want to make it about that and how much you want to s- create that separation from that student and the rest of what you would be doing with any other so, student. So do you think that you can, and again, again, I'll open this up to both of you guys, do you think that you can have empathy for a student who's in that, that adverse situation but still treat them to a level that is not so abnormal from the other students that they can still succeed. Cause I do believe in, you know, as without being a teacher, without having gone through it, I think that it's important to empathize with those students and understand with their position, even if you're not necessarily acting on that. I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about that? Every kid's different. Every single kid that comes through your door is going to be different. So I think that that, from my experience, that just depends on that kid and, which kind of goes back to knowing your kids, having a relationship with them and knowing where they're at and what they need. Yeah, and I think, I mean, a, the structure and support of a school from the top down, like anything, is how it matters. I mean, it's, you, need it, you need strong support at every level. And there need to be people who 
have a job to provide that sort of extracurricular, whether it be a guidance counselor or a psychologist or a therapist. I know my school has recently brought in a third-party therapist group that provides you know, weekly therapy for the, the kids that have high needs outside of just the, the classroom and getting that support because these kids do need support. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean every, every teacher should be devoting half of their lesson plan to it? No, but it is important knowing that they're all different. And I do think the way you said that is understanding the issues. I mean, if you are blind to it, then you're not going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. But knowing what they do and maybe not acting on it, but providing the support or getting, bringing in the people to provide the support or dialogue or what you can do. Sometimes it is just a conversation. Sometimes it is just a, a kid needs a person to, to play a game with them because they, they don't have that at home. They don't have anyone to watch them at home and they just need a little attention. Mm-hmm. So you can provide that. It, again, it is about knowing each kid and knowing that they're not all the same and they're not all going through the same things. And I, and I think that's such a big deal. I'll never forget that's something that that I, I had a conversation with my parents about, right? You know, we when, when you grow up in a family and you have the sister and my younger brother and I always felt slighted. It was always, oh, well, she's the favorite. And, you know, I had always felt like they had, I was held to different standards than my siblings were. And I'll never forget my dad told me, he said, we hold you to different standards because you have a, def- a different skill set and different talents. You're built to do things differently. And I think that's, that's part of what is so fascinating to me about people who do teach is, yes, you're dealing with 25 children, but you really, none of them are the same. They're all these u- unique individuals, and you're trying to work and mesh with each individual person and try to, try to create a situation that all of them as a whole can succeed. And... Part of why I wanted to do set up this interview with you guys is because I think that there's a lot of negativity in the world. I think that things have become very, granted, I didn't live in the 70s, but I think there's a lot of negativity and stuff, and I think there's a more negative outlook now more so than ever. And I think a lot of changing that perception in the next generation starts with teaching. And I think that you know, hearing you guys communicate you know, loving students, empathizing with students, and, and working with these students like this. I think it's a great step forward. That's who we need in the classroom. I think that's what is really going to set America, and not just America, but these kids up for success, right? I mean, you guys, feel free to, to chime in if I'm wrong, but I think we all remember we've had a teacher who was really, really good, right, that had a positive impact on your life. And we've had bad teachers, but... I think the impact that the good ones have so much more outweighs the ones that the bad ones had. So for you guys, how do you, obviously that's something you want to be is be a positive impact on your students. How can, how do you find it's best to do that? How do you find that you can most easily reach out to them and and just try to be a positive person in their life without going over too much what we've already talked about, just more in a general sense? So I think, I mean, we're going to keep touching on the same kind of ideas, but it does go back to you know, knowing your students as individuals and also in each individual moment. I mean, I have some kids that I like to think I'm, I'm making a difference with, but they don't always like me because mm-hmm. I can't be their friend. <laughs> That's not my job. My job is to, to support them right now, but really it's to set them up for the future, mm-hmm. whether that's teaching them certain skills that are academic. Of course, that's a lot of what I do, but sometimes it's it's working on the the stuff outside of 
your core academics and it's working on the social skills or the other other piece and sometimes it's lessons and you know they aren't going to like when I don't give them exactly what they want but they need to learn that that's going to be the case sometimes and working on those skills and again my students are a little lower they do need a little more support but again that's different for all of them and there are times where you know I have to to treat them differently I mean I always I mean every day is different and it is just knowing that and not trying not falling into any sort of trap of oh I need to be liked I need to be their friend I need to be or or conversely I need to be the tough guy I need to you know we you need to be what that student needs in that moment what that mm. student needs in general I mean you said the everybody remembers the good teacher everybody else remembers the bad teacher right and you know both still exist and also they're not the same for every kid you'll have a teacher that one kid says is the best teacher they've ever had and another kid will say it's the worst teacher they ever had it it depends on that connection that relationship and that's to me that is what teaching is always about that is a core identity of my teaching philosophy it is very much about rapport and relationships because i don't think you can get to the other things if if a kid doesn't feel that you care about them and again kids aren't always going to like me but i do hope that they always know that i care mm-hmm. yeah definitely i think in terms of like keeping up i don't know if this is what you're getting at but like keeping a positive attitude yeah. all day as a teacher um <laughs> my job is very hard it's great but it can be really hard it can get hectic and there can be some really stressful days and I think the thing that keeps me going and keeps me in a positive attitude is holding on to those little moments like those little times when things go right like when a kid comes up and gives you a hug or when they finally understand something on their homework that they weren't getting the past few days it's just like those little things that for me I just keep holding on to those to kind of remind myself like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm here. And um, also I think for teachers, their job is very emotionally exhausting. Um, so I think that self-care is huge for teachers, like finding, finding some way to, at the end of the day, draw the line between what is work and what is life right and having that separation and also dealing with stress because there are there are things that teachers see and experience that emotionally can be really difficult like when you are really close with a student and they're going something through really hard something that's really hard in their life just going home at the end of the day after dealing with something like that can be hard so Mm -hmm. having those that separation of work and life is really important and, and ways to manage that for each teacher is, is huge. Right. And I know, you know, for Nick, you have a really almost convenient outlet in sports, right? I know when you're off work, you don't like to talk about work. It's oftentimes you just, you know, we talk sports, we get wings or whatever it is, but, uh, I think that's really huge. And I know my mother was a teacher and that's something that she really struggled with was she found that she had trouble when she got home being able to enjoy her life because you have these things going on that happen at school that are incredibly stressful and taxing on you as a person. And when you go home, not everyone can just kind of flip the switch. And I know that's something she struggled with, but Lane, you, you touched on actually where I wanted to go next with it is I think it's so I've, 
I've preached on the podcast about about positivity and the importance of of maintaining maintaining positivity and one of the things I talk about a lot in particular is cutting out negative things and negative people in your life. If there's things or people that, that stress you out, cut it out and, and just surround yourself with more positivity. But when you're teaching, if you have a really negative student or you have, you're constantly put in these negative situations, that, that, that is your job is you're stepping up to be the person who puts themselves in those positions. How do you deal with those situations where there is negative things going on that you have you have to deal with it? You can't just step, you know, cut it out or just step aside it from it. Well, again, everything is so individualized, everything is so situational. We keep saying that, but also I don't want to always be positive and do I want to have a a positive aura in a way that a student feels like they have a connection and they can trust me? Yes, but that doesn't always mean I'm going to, you know, be outwardly positive and complimentary because I don't want, you know, if a student didn't work hard, if a student is not doing their best, I don't want to say, oh, you did a great job because I want them to know that they can do better. And it's about, you know, again, everything's a kind of a very fine line. In my job, I'm I'm very often the first line of defense and I will get called in when students have very severe, violent and dangerous behaviors. And sometimes I'll see situations where there's just it didn't need to happen. It, a teacher got into this unnecessary fight and power struggle and resulted in a student flipping a desk or doing whatever. I got kicked in the other day by a kid because they were having indoor recess because of the weather and they made the choice of the class gets to choose whether they want to color or play with blocks during recess. She had, she had everybody raise their hand, majority rules, they picked one of those things. Well, he didn't like that choice, so he just threw her desk at, threw his desk at his teacher. Now, it didn't need to get that way, and that obviously upset the teacher, and that's no fault of her own. It's a situation where it just takes you know, thoughtfulness, right? Tell that kid up front, well, if you want to keep doing this, do that while everybody else colors, or whatever it may be. But it's those sort of things that you just need to be thinking of because especially kids that do have trauma, they do have the more emotional stuff, they do have these tough home lives. It is the little thing sometimes, and I get mad, I get annoyed. My kids make me angry, they make me crazy. I can't show that because, because I- Because then they see, they see that and that becomes part of it, right? Right, and I need, right, not that I'm gonna always be positive because sometimes they do need to to be, I need to be more stern, or whatever that may look like, but I can't, can't be angry, I can't lose control because they need to see that it's okay still. And I think that's where the positivity comes in as a teacher. It's that, that rapport, I mean, teacher or kids know when teachers don't like them, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And teachers will never say that and teachers can act however they want, but I mean, kids, Kids feel when they're treated differently, and sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not, but they they feel that, oh, well, she gave other kids this, but she didn't give me. That matters to kids. And when you have kids that struggle in every other aspect of their life, and then you bring it into school, that's when you take away that, that sanctity of the school environment for them. Oh, that can be so hard. Like, they're... Kids who just 
know how to get under your skin. Like, there are kids that walk through the door, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're here today. <laughs> I'm going to have to deal with him today. But um, they can never know that, and they can never know that. I, I don't think that kids should ever know that you don't like them. Or not that you don't like them, but that they get under your skin or well, that, look, we you say, know, I was, like. <laughs> I was talking about this with a, with a coworker the other day and it's the classic like, well, I don't hate the kid. I hate no. I hate the behavior. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But kids don't they can't realize that, especially my students. I mean, things are very black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And I get mad. I take something away and they see me kind of react irrationally. And even if it's a understandable, justifiable reaction to them. I'm, you know, I'm breaking that trust. I'm breaking that barrier. And that's, you know, that's going to hurt for some of them. Also, some of them are going to try to make me mad. Yeah. A lot of them are. I mean, they want to get their way. They want to, you know, break my will and they want to get what they want. And if I lose my cool, if I, if I show that, then they win, right? That is a power struggle that I don't want to get into with them because that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, working for their benefit long term, they may not see that, but that is why we do the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And I guess for like just staying positive, you know, in that moment, you've really got to just, <laughs> you've got to keep calm, always keep calm. And then later, for me, I get that, this kind of goes back to self-care, I guess, but I love having someone that I can just talk to and just say, here's what happened to me today and just rant about it and then mm-hmm. just get it all off my chest. And that helps so much right. for me to be able to just move on past all that little stuff. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, I've, I've talked about and I, I've really become about is not just if you're a teacher, but in life, just being able to communicate what's going on in your life mm-hmm. and letting things off your shoulders. I think a lot of people have this, they have this mindset that, by me ranting or whatever, that I am being too negative or I'm putting a burden on whoever I'm talking to. But the reality is, if you internalize those things, it's going to kill you in the long run. It's going to eat away at you, and then it's going to affect every facet of your life without you realizing it. I think being able to, like you said, just have somebody that you can that you can just, even if, if it's ranting or just speaking about, like being able to do that is so big. But but Nick, you talked. You you made a point that I really, I really, I really, really liked. You said it's being able to separate the student from the behavior, right? Or was it Lane that said that? It might have been Lane who said, said that. It. Nick said it. Yeah. Okay. You talked about that, and I think that's what I was almost getting at with being able to empathize with people. Mm-hmm. Is I think a lot of times in life when people do things or they act certain ways, we attach it to that person, and all of a sudden we have hate for that person, right? I think that's what really separates teachers from well that's that's toxic in life right because Mm. once you create those biases then that's going to change the way you look at a person that's going to change the way you act towards a person and that's problematic in all aspects and it's it partially human nature but it's something that i think it's important to be aware of but as teachers i think it's even more important because not only do our actions way more for these kids they're nine they're not finished products. They're not even close, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I have coworkers that, that you and know. Not only are they not finished products, but you're the one molding them, right? Right. right. So you know, and I have coworkers and colleagues that will say, "Well, that kid's going to be in jail. That kid's going to drop out of school." And you know what? 
they may be right. That's a, you know, unfortunately the population that I work with, that's, that's a sad reality, but I don't want to put that into the world. I don't want to look at a student like that. I want to look at a student as, okay, well today we, we did this, this, we had this behavior, but what can we do tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What, what can we do to improve on that? What are the things, I mean, part of my, and I've written a lot about this in school and I'm still writing about it in grad school and w- what my education philosophy is, is like, you know, these kids don't simply exist in the classroom. They don't simply exist on paper. They don't exist in just math and reading. They are, are you know, three-dimensional human beings, and it is our job to, to mold them and to teach them for the academics and in school, but also for out of school. And what are we going to do to help them grow as people? Mm. And if we're writing kids off because of their behaviors, if we're saying, well, that kid's going to, you know, be in jail in five years, that kid's, you know, that's a waste of my time, then what is that going to say to the kid? Right. And it's, you know, your, your grade in a, a fourth grade science class doesn't determine your success in life. And I, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of not only teachers, but people that really believe that, that if you fail at this certain thing or you aren't putting forth the most effort in this certain thing, that means that you're just going to be a failure everywhere in life. How do you... How do you manage that? Let's say you have a student that you can see the potential in them. You see the ability of them to do certain things, but they just aren't getting it done in the classroom. You know, let's say they are just brilliant speakers. You know, every, they, they're just extremely charismatic with the other kids. They not only are they have a lot of friends, but they're just very much just well thought out, well put together, but they just cannot do well in science or English, whatever it is. How do you work with that student to try to get the most out of them academically? Well, I have, I have a student that I'm working in. Look, all of my students are extremes because of the, the population I work with. The only students that come to me have severe disabilities. But I have a student who, whose mom I met with recently, and he's getting ready for middle school next year, so we're kind of looking going forward. And he's a student that is very prop- popular. He's a student that is very likable, very charming, really genuinely good kid because he does the right thing, but he's not a snitch. He's not like a tattletale, but he does, you know, he does when he sees things that are wrong, he'll stand up for kids that are bullied and whatever. It's awesome. He's a great kid, genuinely. He also, you know, reads and does math at about a first grade level. He, I don't want to necessarily put him in a box that says he can only be a special ed kid for the rest of his life, but academically he cannot do what his peers do in fifth grade. So now... You know, I'm working with my team. I'm working with my district. I'm working with his mom. What can we do to empower this student? Well, he can't do math. He really struggles. He he can count, you know, but he starts at one every time. He can add, but he starts at one every time. I'm giving him a calculator. Now, is he still going to, is he that magically going to make him do the same work as all of his classmates? No. But I want him in his classroom. I want him interacting with his peers because... That's important. How do you learn social skills? Well, you interact with in social settings. So the things that we can do to, to kind of compensate for his, his gaps, <coughs> excuse me, for his gaps academically, that is what we need to be looking at. Because I don't want to just remove him and say, okay, you're not going to be with your classmates anymore. I want to figure out what we can do to help him be successful with his classmates. Another thing... Maybe this applies more to general ed, I'm not sure. But, um, like, just bringing student interest into 
into what you're teaching, like in relating the content that they're learning to their lives and their interest and their experiences is huge because once they see that connection, they're going to relate to it more and they're going to want to, they're going to want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, just giving them a worksheet of math problems is not what kid wants to sit down and do that. Right. And I mean, I, I gave a very, you know, I, first of all, I gave a very educational answer, but I also give the very special, I mean, my job is to accommodate. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in my classroom or the genetic classroom, it's finding the best setting for that kid and modifying and accommodating to get them to be successful. But I think the bigger answer, and I like that you added that, it's, well, what can I do to empower the student in a given lesson or given period of time? And part of it, again, I think the core of all teaching is relationships. Mm-hmm. So part of it is that you got to make him want to be there. You got to make him want to learn because no kid, no matter what you're doing, if he doesn't want to be there, he's not going to going to be motivated to work. So what that relationship matters, but then also, you know, last year when I was, I was teaching math at the middle school level and a lot of my students, a similar kind of population, you know, were hands-on learners. They can't really do, you know, your standard algorithm multiplication, but especially I, I had some students, you know, parents, mechanics, that sort of thing. They have a, a mechanical technical ability that's probably better than I have. Right. Mm-hmm. So we did a, a project where we built towers out of popsicle sticks and toothpicks. And some kids were outstanding at that. And I had kids that loved that. And it was the first time that I saw them want to be there. Yeah. And I had kids that didn't want to do it. And they could choose to, to do worksheets or whatever, you know, alternative things. But it's finding the, it's giving options, right? It's, it's specifying and differentiating, but it's giving options and choices because no two students learn the same. And I, you know, I myself have ADHD and I, in school, could never just sit and take notes on a PowerPoint and retain any of the material. You can't sit when you're here in the booth. You've been all over the place. It's, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm still that. I'm a, you know, a 25-year-old grown, grown man and I can't sit still and, and just retain things like that. And mm-hmm. even now, you know, I'm always tapping my feet and whatever. And I think that's fine. If it's not fine for you as a teacher then find out a way to make it fine. Yeah. Give give kids opportunities. Some kids need to stretch. Some kids need to stand. Some kids need to tap. Whatever it is, figure out a way to do that in a structured environment so they're not just messing around and that's when kids that's what leads to behaviors. But give them opportunity, give them chances to do those things. Give them different kinds of assignments so you get your assignment that is great for the kid that just needs to sit and do it on a worksheet. Some kids love that. I wasn't one of them, mm-hmm. but there are plenty of kids that are. Right. And then give a, you know, a video project. Um, my school is, is very soon becoming a one-to-one school where every student will have an iPad to use in the, in mm-hmm. the classroom. I, I attended and, a school that was one-to-one. Yeah, and, and the middle school and high schools in my district are already becoming one-to-one where the kids are taking home their, you know, Chromebooks or whatever it may be. Figure out how to use that technology. I mean, there's a teacher at my school that does just such amazing things with his class because, I mean, he has, it's so structured where he can, you know, he'll come out and talk to me in the hallway and his class doesn't miss a beat because they're all working on their iPads and they're making video projects or they're making whatever. And it's figuring out, you know, you, you probably shouldn't be making videos every day. You also shouldn't be doing worksheets every day. But you're day. giving them those options. So give that- them options, give them choices, give them, you want different, different kind of things. You want, you know, Kids to feel like, oh, 
well, now this is my chance to be really, really good. Johnny was great at that last assignment, but now look what I can do on this PowerPoint. Right, and you used a word there that I think is so big. You, you said in accommodating. And I think that's such a huge thing, not just for teaching, but in life is, in what you're doing, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for the person that you're, that you're trying to help? And I think, that it, I think that's really one of the things that separates the great teachers I had from the ones that I don't enjoy, right? The teachers that I've liked least in my life were the ones who it felt like I was in that class for them, that it was their class, they were going to run it their way, and that it was about them. But well, the teachers that I liked the best the, were the ones that accommodated their class and their style for the, me. That's a mindset thing, right? I was talking mm -hmm. with my principal today because he was gone for a couple of days in a conference, and we talked about this idea of suspending students. And should we su suspend kids? Sure, I'm not saying never, especially as kids get older, and I think consequences do matter. But so often we suspend kids for the sake of a teacher. Because mm -hmm. you take out that troubled kid and it makes their life a lot easier. Does it help the student? Not necessarily, especially, you know, if I have a kid whose home life is a mess or, you know, is homeless or whatever it may be, what good am I doing that student by suspending him? Mm -hmm. Then we're going to get the consequences when that student comes back. Right. Because right? you're just putting them back into the toxic environment that right. started the issues. And it may make my two days easier because I don't have to deal with that student's behavior, but is it beneficial long term? No. So I think what you just said, I mean, that idea of accommodation, but also that that thoughtfulness of, you know, you are thinking about the student and you're thinking about what's best for that kid, mm -hmm. right? Not as a whole of, oh, this is what I do and not for what's best for you, but what is best for that individual kid. And so here's a question for you guys. How do you balance helping out the individual child that might be troubled, but also being wary of the needs of all the other students? And I'll present to you a situation when I was in middle school or elementary school, there was a kid who brought pot to school and was showing it to, to his friends because, you know, he came from a troubled home life. They suspended the student. And the reasoning behind it wasn't, well, because we don't want to deal with the behavior. It's, it's for the sake of the other kids. How, right. Where do you find that balance at in what you do? Well, to me, and again, being the kind of, especially the first, defend, the first offender, for lack of a better term, of student does blank, call me. I look at it as there are teachers that are way too quick to trigger to, oh, you know, Johnny looked at me wrong, so I'm going to call, I'm going to call for help. No. But is a student being harmful to himself or others? Then you call for help. Mm -hmm. Then you remove the student. Then you look at suspension. If the kid is violent, if he's hurting others, if, if he is too dangerous to be there, if bringing him into that environment is going to, going to put himself or others at risk, then you don't do that, Right. And something like drugs, I mean, you got to have no tolerance on those sort of things. Right. And for me, I don't want to ever suspend a kid just for the sake of suspending them. But are there times where I'm going to need a day or two to come up with a plan to have in place when that student comes back? Sure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, it's, it's a learning process every day with these kids. And there are plenty of kids who are not the same every single day. Yeah. So sometimes you need to take some time and and figure out how to support a kid. And if their behavior is dangerous in that time, then that is a need for a suspension. Yeah. But not just because the kid is pissing off a teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. Lane, do you have any thoughts on that? Can you kind of, could you repeat kind of the idea you were going at? Yeah, just, just how you balance between being able to, to be there for the needs of a troubled child and be there for that individual, but also being able to protect the other students and, it, and, and what's going on with them in, 
I, I guess the, the way to put it is you have a disruptive student. How do you balance being able to fix them and not send them back into a toxic situation with a thing like suspension? But if they're affecting the other children, how do you, how do you find that balance between helping the individual and helping the whole? Well, safety is the number one thing. I mean, for, for me, I'm, I'm not a teacher yet. I'm, I don't teach in a classroom, so I'm going off my experience in the after-school program, but safety is always the number one concern. Is this student a problem for the others? And, um, or a safety problem for the staff even. I think oh, at the beginning of the year, we had a lot of problems with the older students, sixth graders getting in fights, actual physical fights at our program. And so those situations are tough because when you have the staff that are so worried about that one kid and what he's going to do and if he's going to hurt other kids, they're not able to look after everyone else. So for us our, at the after-school program, just because our staffing is so low, our tolerance for that kind of behavior is very low. Yeah. Like if you are going to be causing such major problems that you have to take staff away from the rest of the kids, you just straight up can't be here. Yeah, and again, it's like everything we're saying. I mean, it's all situational, right? I mean, you can't just have a, a broad... I mean, some things you do, right? No tolerance for drugs or alcohol. That'll get well, you suspended. Well, yeah, and you but, have to have expectations. Like, there, that's you important. You have to have clear expectations and standards, and then you have to look at each given situation. Also, to me, now... And after school program is a little different than a actual classroom. Yeah. And you're looking at, well, what are what is your process? What are your steps? Because suspension should never be your first option mm-hmm. or that sort of idea. What are you doing in between? Now, of course, there are plenty of things that jump. If a kid is just repeatedly punching his classmates, then yeah, that's a level five. But what are you doing in the meantime to support him before you get to that thing? What are you doing? Are you removing him from the classroom? Are you trying other environments? Is it a issue with the teachers, an issue with a classmate, is an issue with recess. Mm-hmm. Maybe students shouldn't be outside or shouldn't be allowed in certain parts. It's, there are, what are you trying before you jump to that? What have you done? Mm-hmm. That's a big thing for me. Well, what is most fulfilling about education for you guys? I know it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a big question, but. Yeah, without being too, you know, cliche, and it's, mm-hmm. it's what Lane said earlier, it's, you know, it's the small victories. It's the things that I remember from, you know, working in summer camps 10 years ago, it's the things that, you know, my kids celebrate on a random Tuesday because they feel really successful that they got a question right or, you know, a kid that can usually struggles that does something better than his peers and feels confident or empowered for the first time. And, you know, however, it's, it's those sort of victories that, like, that, you know, touch your heart and was like, yeah, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. Definitely, all those little moments. It's, uh, yeah, just the best. (laughs) I mean, like, I remember, I mean, the past few weeks, we've been having a really hard time at our program, just like a lot of behavior problems and things like that. And I was starting to feel really run down and exhausted and kind of frustrated. And this little boy came up to me and he had made, it was a book that said, people I love in it and was flipping through the pages and then he had drawn a picture of me and put my name in it and it was just like that feeling it just gave me the energy I needed to keep on going and keep get through it yeah That's yeah awesome. yeah That's awesome. <laughs> so I want to finish off with this question what advice would you give to somebody who was 
you know, for, for Lane, I guess the question towards you would be more so someone who's interested in going into the education degree, if it's right for them, and if they aren't sure about it, mm -hmm. how do they make that decision as opposed to a, a, a different program? I would say um, two things that helped me when I was trying to figure out if going into education is what I wanted to do, specifically, you know, in the college setting, is I, I got getting into a classroom is huge. If you can shadow someone um, and get in and just feel that environment, because that's kind of what changed things for me is when I was actually in that environment, and I was like, oh, wow you know, kind of seeing everything that teachers do on a daily basis and what that's like. And um, that that's a great idea. And also getting in touch with a professor, like near the beginning of when I first switched into the education major, I had a meeting with a professor um, who kind of sat down with me and talked to me about kind of why I was thinking about education and... Um, he kind of helped me work through figuring out whether or not that was something I wanted to go into. And then just like learning more about the education program and things like that. So mm -hmm. that's where I would start. <laughs> yeah. And then for you, Nick, somebody who is currently in education, like an education program, they haven't gotten themselves into teaching yet, but they might be around students. What, what are some expectations they can have for once they get into the real world, they have their own classroom, and the students really become theirs? I mean, basically just you know nothing, and that <laughs> what you're doing now is nothing like what your job will become, and that's okay. I mean, they'll show you all of these pretty terrible memes at your new teacher you know, hiring and your new teacher conference and your new teacher mentorship programs and all these things that they'll force you to go to within your district, and you're going to hate them because they're the same things, but there's some truth to it. And they'll show you your, you know, there's, there's always a scale of, you know, the first teach, the first year teacher sliding scale of, you know, you love it and you're excited and then you're struggling and then you're at a valley of like, I can't do this anymore. And then, you know, spring comes back and you're like, Oh wait, you know, you come back from break and you're, you get back up there and then you go back down. It's all peaks and valleys. I mean, no teacher is is ever fully fully done learning, and that that's important. Um, one of my professors in college had me write about the difference between a, a learner and a student, and the fact that you know we should never stop learning and, and growing and developing. I think that's really important to know. Like as a as a young teacher, as a, a future educator, you're not a finished product. It is really important to to me to to get experience, get out in the classroom take advantage of the opportunities you have in your classes. If you have time, you know, go see, go to schools, reach out to local teachers. Teachers love to have people in the classroom. And, you know, that's why we're, we're all mentorship. You know, we're all mentors. We're all teachers. That's what we want to help those, those around us. And I think it's important to see different kinds of environments, get different kinds of experiences. I know, you know, my brother and my sister are both teachers as well. My brother graduated college with a degree in business and sociology and now teaches calculus. My sister, you know, wanted to teach first grade and then became a fifth grade teacher. So you don't know what you're going to do. You're 18, 19 years old. Like you have time to figure things out. But if you want to be a teacher, that's great. I think Lane said all the right. She was when I thought you were going to ask me that question. She said my answers. 
you know, think about why you want to do it, get the experience, talk to the other teachers. That's really important. And then again, just know that you're going to, you're going to struggle and you're going to make mistakes and teaching is very difficult. And there are going to be days where you want to quit. And there are going to be days where, you know, we do take home our work, both emotionally and physically. You have a lot of grading, you have a lot of papers, you have a lot of paperwork. It's tough. It's, it's frustrating. Make sure you do have, you know, and I like that. I'm glad Lane brought that up. Like, Make sure you have a release. I don't always want to talk about school. I talk about school all day at school. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to go home and talk about Joel Embiid. Right. That's okay. <laughs> like have have those out. Have a a support group around you, whether it's your your next door neighbor teacher or you know your mom. It doesn't matter. Make sure you you know. I I call my dad literally every single morning, and on my drive to work, and talk about you know the day before. And that's super important to me because I don't always want to talk to my coworkers about it because I don't want to be gossiping. I don't want to create those sort of negative tones towards my students. But sometimes I do need to just like tell my dad, like, yeah, this yesterday was miserable. And he's super important to my like my just mental health on that and have that know that days are going to be hard and that's okay. And that, you know, if you're there for the right reasons, things will work out. Things will things will be okay. I mean you're going to struggle and student teaching is really tough because you're going to not know what you're doing and be thrown in, you know, the deep end. And there's a reason for it. Even though you're paying to be a full-time employee, that's a side complaint, but (laughs) it's, it's an important part of your teaching journey is like, Oh, this is what it's like. And it's still not the full magnitude of it. But, you know, having worked with a lot of teachers and I've seen teachers come from every every side of it of, you know, the teacher that says they knew what they want to do when they were six or me when I was, you know, 14 or you when you you were 19 or teachers. My brother was, you know, 22 and started becoming an assistant coach with one of his friends at a JV basketball team and then became a substitute. And then next year was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Everyone's journey as a teacher is different. That doesn't make them better or worse. But know that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna need those experiences, whichever way they come from. That's okay. If you again, if you know, kind of like The Bachelor, you got to be there for the right reasons. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, so that's what's important to me. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to add? Is there anything else that you want to put out there for for people to be able to hear? Yeah, I mean, teachers are great. Yeah. 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 Teachers are important. Love your teachers. If there's a teacher that you know in your life, spread positivity to them, man. Tell them you love them. Tell them they're great. You know, I think I got to sit down here with two people who are really geared towards helping children. And I think that's really what it's all about. I think their hearts and their minds are in the right place. I think we had a really good discussion today. I think that not only if you have teacher friends, show them this and, and let them hear it, but also try to take what we talked about and just apply it to your own life. Cause I think there's a lot of really good morals and stuff that we're here about to, yeah, to hear I, about. I think if I had one final, you know, take from this, I think it's, it's that it's, you know, the things I do as a teacher are not exclusive to teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about this idea of, of being open-minded and thoughtful and considerate and empathetic and all of these things. Like those are just good things to be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yes, it's different for us. It's different when you're doing it, you know, as a full time teacher and you're such an important part of these kids lives but that doesn't mean it's not important to you know for the grocer at at 
the grocery store or, you know, the neighbor that you see getting your mail every day. The relationships in your life matter from the, the small ones to the big ones. And those sort of ideas of of being considerate and thinking about the person are are global. Mm-hmm. They, they matter in every relationship. Absolutely. A lot of really good stuff in here. Really good interview. Thank you guys so much for for popping in and, and doing this interview. I think there's a lot of value in it. I hope that you listening were able to get a lot of good stuff out of it. I love you all. Make sure to check out our other podcasts. Check out our Monday message. I want to be able to do more interviews like this with people. Talk to them about their worlds, their stories, and the life that they live in. Have a good day. Have a great night. Have a great rest of your week. I love you all. We'll see you later.